0: sinning against you. Even during times when we might feel holy and pure, our own pride and self-righteousness tends to consume us. We can think so highly of ourselves and our circumstances when we're winning and yet we think so very little of you and your preeminence over all of your creation. Like Little children, we puff out our chests at a simple achievement, and we want to claim all of the glory for it. When all the while, the truth is that we remain dependent on your supervision and your providence. Lord, you know that when we think or feel that we're losing at life, or the world around us presses in on us, that our weak hearts can so often turn to despair and turn to bitterness towards you or towards our neighbors or our circumstances. God, hear the cry of our hearts this morning. God, we depend upon your grace as we confess these things and so much more left in the silence of our hearts. Hear, O Lord, be merciful to us. For we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. But to those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord, we ask that we would hear these words from God's word in Ephesians. Believe this word of God and take comfort in it. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So, people of God, receive the good news of the gospel that in Jesus Christ your sin is forgiven and covered. Amen? And so we rejoice in him and him alone. And we acknowledge our need for him. Let's continue our worship in song, acknowledging that need and declaring the precious gift that Christ is to us.
1: Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure And forsake the King of kings But mine is hope in my Redeemer Though I fall, His love is sure For Christ has paid for every failing I am His forevermore mine are tears in times of sorrow darkness not yet understood through the valley I must travel Where I see no earthly good But mine is peace that flows from heaven And the strength in times of need I know my pain will not be wasted Christ completes his work in me Mine are days here as a stranger Pilgrim on a narrow way One with Christ I will encounter Harm and hatred for his name But mine is armor for this battle Strong enough to last the war and he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore and mine are keys to Zion City where beside the king I walk for there my heart has found its treasure Christ is mine forevermore. Come, rejoice now, O my soul, for His love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure, Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul. For his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for His love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside The King I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Yes, Christ is mine forevermore. Yes, Christ is mine
0: forevermore. forevermore. Amen. Let's take a seat.
2: Welcome to Messio Church, my name is Nate Maxfield, I serve as an elder on staff here. Uh, it's so great to see you all this morning, and it's a wonderful privilege this morning to be able to open up the Word of God with you. Uh, we're continuing through a series in the Psalms this week, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 30, if you'll turn there now, if you've got your Bibles or a smartphone, we'll also have uh, the scripture up on the screen for you as well, but Psalm chapter 30 is what we'll be looking at today. As we turn there, just a reminder if you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, don't forget to head to missiochurchorg forward slash check in. Uh, let us know that you're here. We'd love to follow up with you, get to know you a little bit. Psalm chapter 30. This is God's word. Joy comes with the morning a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you've healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I think this morning of how your son Jesus said, that we shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, we come to your word this morning. We come to you seeking sustenance for our souls. Lord, by the work of your spirit this morning, would you open up our hearts and minds, cause us, God, to delight in you and in your way, God, grant us understanding, too, that we may know you more as we all seek to live faithful lives of worship to your glory. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Well, the date is May 5th, 2018, and I am at a birthday party for Jeremy Barada. You might know him. He's a member here. Uh, And this particular birthday party was a surprise birthday party. Now, Jeremy had mentioned at one point to our circle of friends that he was homeschooled as a kid and never had the opportunity to have the traditional kid's birthday party with all the festivities. And so for his, I think it was his 23rd birthday, we threw him a kid's birthday party. Uh, And so we had hats, there were those noise kazoo things and an ice cream cake. And of course, what kid's birthday party is complete without a pinata, right? So of course there is a pinata. Disclaimer, I think pinatas are the worst idea for a birthday party, and you're about to see why. Um, But nonetheless, Jeremy, of course, gets to go first, right, because he's the birthday boy, so we blindfold him, we spin him around. Uh, We didn't have a bat, so we give him a a broomstick, uh, and that was our makeshift bat, and then I could tell from the way that he stood poised, he was ready to smack the snot out of that pinata, and this is going to be a really short-lived game. And uh, so I'm watching from the edge of the lawn. I figure I got to keep my distance, and I'm right against a railing that leads to the deck, and uh, the the stairs go up, and I'm I'm leaning against the railing, and there's this pink balloon just bouncing happily in the wind right by my face, and... uh, What happens next, it replays in my mind like one of those slow motion sequences from the Matrix. (laughs) Uh, He swings fast and hard and what he didn't realize is he was holding onto the plastic cap at the end of the broomstick. So you can see where this is headed. You can see where the broomstick was headed. (laughs) It launched like a missile right out of it and came flying directly at me and I had absolutely no time to respond whatsoever. And I'm just like, Like, I might have screamed, I don't know. I look, and everybody at the party has their hands over their mouth like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. I look up, the balloon is gone. It's not there anymore. And I hear this crash behind me, and I look behind just in time to see the storm window and rain gutter on the neighbor's house crashing down. And I thought in my moment, that was almost my face. (laughs) A couple tiny inches closer, and I'd be preaching to you with one eye today. But I was spared. I had been spared in that moment. And immediately I was filled with relief and the first words out of my mouth were, thank God. It's a funny illustration to point to a deeper truth. Uh, And it's this, that when God spares us from something in our relief, we're moved to praise him, aren't we? We're moved to tell others about it. You better believe I told everybody what happened. I'm telling you now. It's still like it's fresh, like it's my heart's pounding already just thinking about it again. In today's passage, David tells us of how he was spared from an almost certain death. And in his relief, he is moved to praise God. He's moved to tell others of God's faithfulness. It's almost like he's completely refreshed in his sense of purpose in that moment. And his message in this psalm rings loud and clear, and it is this. A life restored by God is a life restored to his glory and praise. A life restored to God is a life that is restored to his glory and praise. I mean, if you think about it, it's the reason that we even exist at all, right? We exist to glorify God by living faithful lives of worship. That's his design. The reason that you and I right now have breath in our lungs is to glorify the God who gives us life in the first place. Now, of course, sin has caused us to not walk in line with that purpose. But when we are reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ, We are restored in this God-given purpose to praise and glorify God with a faithful life of worship. Now, I know that this is not rocket science, right? Like, chances are that you know this already. I exist to glorify God. And yes, it would be the right response to the fact that, A, he created us, and B, uh, it's the right response to his saving work that he's demonstrated through Christ. So why am I going to talk to you about this for the next 20 minutes? Well, because if you're anything like me, you're prone to apathy. You're prone to forget. I think if we all take an honest assessment, we see that we are all too easily distracted from this purpose as we go about our daily lives. It's true, isn't it? There's a million things to distract us, a million things to steal our affection, a million things that promise that we can put our confidence and security in them. And if we let it go unchecked, uh, we start to lose an appreciation for the wonderment of what it is we've been saved from and what it is that we've been called to. And sadly, uh, maybe you've experienced this, it sometimes takes a bout of hard providence in our life for our perspective to be refreshed, for us to understand uh, with renewed vision what our purpose is. That broomstick incident, I mean, it's a funny story, right? But you better believe there was a refreshing of perspective there. I was suddenly in touch with things that I had taken for granted, like my life, my eyeballs. <laughs> None of us are above the need for reminder none of us. And in this psalm, which, side note, was appropriately used as a call to worship at the dedication of the temple, we see that David himself was not above a need for a reminder. We see him brought back in touch with things that he had previously taken for granted, and we see his life restored to the praise and the glory of his covenant keeping God. So let's take a look at it. Well take it apart today. Starting in verse 1 through 3, we start to catch a glimpse of what it was that David was facing. In verse 1, he says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought me up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. It's clear David needed God's help, right? He needed God to draw him up, as he said. He indicates in verse 2 that he needed to be healed from something. Uh, so it's likely that he was sick, possibly to the point of death. And the imagery that he uses here, he describes his proximity to death. He says, Uh, that he had to be restored back to life from among those who go down to the pit, brought back from Sheol or from the grave. And then to make matters worse, he's got a bunch of enemies who stood poised and ready to rejoice at his untimely death. And so he needs God's help. He cries to God for help. He cries to God for deliverance. And what does God do? He spares him. Verse one, he draws him up. His enemies are stopped from rejoicing over his death. Verse two, God heals him. Verse three, God brings up David's soul from death and restores him to life. Imagine the relief he felt. Imagine the renewed perspective that came with that dawning of healing and life. And how does David respond? He responds to God's saving intervention with praise because you've healed me because you've drawn me up because you've silenced my foes verse one i will extol you O lord i'll praise you i'll celebrate you i will tell of what you have done i've been spared by the hand of god and notice that it's not enough for david just shooting up praise to god in that moment He invites others along. Look at verse four. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. He invites the people of God to join him in a song of praise. And also notice why he calls them to praise God. In verse five, he says, "For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, the beginning of verse 5 might make us ask the question okay, was this pestilence some kind of punishment from God? Was David being punished for some kind of a sin that he committed? And, you know, I think if we get hung up on that question, we're hung up on the wrong question and missing what David's trying to communicate here. Now, Sure, ultimately all suffering, sin, death, it's a result of the sin of man. It's part of God's judgment on sin. We see in this psalm that David uh, was guilty of sin. We'll look at it in a moment, that he confesses his sin. But scripture also teaches that none of us are dealt with in direct proportion to our degree of sinfulness. None of us. We should be glad about that. Because if that wasn't the case, none of us would be here right now. None of us. We all deserve to go down to the pit immediately, eternally. But God's divine forbearance or his practice of restraint in dealing with us in the moment according to our sin, it's a kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance. And he's talking here to God's people, he says, Oh, you, his saints. And he's reminding them, and his message in verse 5 is that God doesn't deal with us according to our sin, he does not repay us according to our iniquity. To the one who trusts God, the final word over their life is not God's anger, it's his favor. Their weeping will not last forever. There will, in fact, be joy. Hmm. For From an eternal perspective, their afflictions are light and momentary. God's faithfulness to his covenant promises, they're as sure as the coming dawn. And it's almost like David and saying, praise him. He's like saying, come on, people of God, this is good news. Come on, people of God, give praise to God. Give thanks to his name. The fact that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, that is praiseworthy news. And the more that we recognize our degree of sinfulness, the better that that news becomes to us. The more that we recognize how much we deserve the pit, the better this news becomes that he has pulled us from it. David recognized that he deserved the pit. he didn't deserve to be spared he's almost saying in verse 5 look I deserve the Lord's anger I don't deserve his favor I deserve mourning I don't deserve joy but that's what makes God's dealing with his people so remarkable And he moves forward. Uh, We know that this is David's stance because he moves forward with confessing his sin. In verse 6, he says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So David's acknowledging. In God's providence, David long enjoyed prosperity as Israel's king. Uh, He had plenty of things to draw confidence from, uh, from a worldly standpoint. And we see that God, uh, in his favor, caused David's mountain to stand strong. But he began to find security in that. He became overconfident that such a providence would continue in perpetuity. He says that I shall never be moved. And what's interesting is this really is not a posture that's fitting for God's people because Psalm 10 uses these very words to describe the wicked. Of the wicked it says, his ways prosper at all times. He says in his heart, what? I shall never be moved. David's confession is that, man, I put my confidence in the wrong thing and my heart was aligned with the posture of the wicked before my God. We're so capable of the same thing, aren't we? God blesses us with good provision and rather than being drawn to him, we run to the blessing. We find the worth and security and joy in that instead. We overvalue the blessing. We overvalue ourselves. We think, wow, what good providence. Surely there must be something special about me that this should continue forever, right? We live as if no hard providence shall ever befall us, but such a posture does not... It leads us to leaning into God. It leads us towards self-autonomy. It leads us to building a life full of comfort and our own perceived control with a minimized need for God. But the truth is is that we can't even take our next breath without God giving it to us. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Kind of shatters those pursuits that we spend so much time chasing in this life. And we read in verse seven that Through a bout of hard providence, God hides his face from David. David's dismayed. He's undone. Turns out none of the prosperity, the confidence, the comfort, none of it meant anything without God. David realized, without God, I've got absolutely nothing. I don't even have my next breath. And from what he likely thought was his deathbed, he makes this plea in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. David understands his need for God's forgiveness, and he recognizes that the solution for him not being treated as his sins deserved, what is it? It's God's mercy. Mercy. And then aside from asking for mercy, really, if we look at it, the rest of David's plea becomes a case for his restored life to be an instrument for God's honor and God's glory. Starting in verse 9, he asks this question. He says, what profit is it there in my death if I go down to the pit? So in other words, is it really profitable for God if his chosen king succumbs to a deadly pestilence, much to the delight of all of his enemies. Like David's not concerned about his own glory here, he's concerned about the glory of God, and he perceives that if he were to die in this way, uh, that God might seem a loser to his enemies. So he continues in verse 9. Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? In other words, if I die now, who will declare your glory? Who will declare your praises? Who will proclaim your faithfulness? Restore me to life that I may go about my purpose to praise and glorify you with a faithful life of worship, declaring the faithfulness of the covenant keeping God. David, in his plea, recognizes his chief end. His purpose for which he's designed. This is what David's life was to be about. As God's chosen king. As one who trusted in God's covenant promises. His life was to be about the praise and glory and honor of God. His life is about declaring God's faithfulness. And so his case essentially is this. My God restored life will be a life restored to the honor and praise of the most high God. But again... The crux of his life being restored is the mercy of God. And David makes one more final plea for mercy in verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. And from the edge of the pit, he closes his plea. Weeping in the night, David longs for the dawn. And we read here a testament to God's faithfulness that the dawn comes. In due time, God responds. God spares David. God lifts David from the pit. God restores David's life. Read with me verse 11. He says, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And it's been done with purpose. Look at verse 12. Look at the purpose for this restoration. God did this, that. David's glory may sing God's praise and not be silent. David ends with these words. Oh, Lord, my God. I will give thanks to you forever. David's God restored life was a life restored to the glory and praise of God forever. David was reminded in the situation of the reason that he exists, and his response is not silence, it's praise. And it's not just a proclamation of praise from him to God. It's not just a proclamation of praise calling other people to praise God, but it is a life of faithful worship to God and to the telling of the faithfulness of the covenant-keeping God. And it still stands as a testament for us today as we read this. It was God's faithfulness to his covenant promises that made it possible for David to pray this prayer to sing this song. And so what does it mean for you and I today? What did it mean to the hearers of it when David proclaimed it at the dedication of the temple? Well, David used it as a call for the Israelites to live faithful lives of worship, to the covenant-keeping God. The message for us today is no different. Only, we now have a fuller, picture of how God has been faithful to his covenant promises, his son, Jesus Christ. And for you and I today, God's covenant faithfulness is on brilliant display when we realize that through faith in Christ, we can join in on this song of praise, of restoration. Friends, anybody here in Christ has been spared i mean spared anyone in christ has been drawn up they've been healed we are not dealt with in the manner that our sins deserve in christ we are no longer objects of god's wrath and anger no instead because of christ's perfect righteousness and perfect sacrifice We're objects of his favor. He covers us with his favor as with a shield. And because Christ conquered death by his resurrection, we who are hidden in him, we're not going down to the pit. We're not going to be abandoned to Sheol. We will not see decay. We will share in his victory over death, and we will live forever with him. Friends, your enemy, the devil, can no longer rejoice over you. You are Christ's, and Christ wins. Your restored life is a testament to his glory. Your restored life is a testament to the faithfulness of the covenant keeping God. Can almost hear David now. Come on! That's good news. Come on, people of God, praise him. Give thanks to him. Those that are kept from from being silent in the pit must not be silent in the land of the living. Stole that from Matthew Henry, but it's a perfect closure to this. (laughs) Why reinvent the wheel, right? (laughs) If you're in Christ, if you've embraced him by faith, Do me a favor right now. It's kind of goofy, but do me a favor. Take a deep breath. Breathe in. Let it go. You've been given your breath to praise and glorify God. Don't let the fleeting pursuits of this life dim the wonderment of what you've been delivered from and what you've been called to. Don't let them distract you from living a faithful life of worship. This is your purpose. Your God-restored life is a life that's been reserved for his glory and for the telling of the faithfulness of the covenant-keeping God. Maybe you're here today and you've never considered the fact that your purpose is to live a faithful life of worship to the one who created you. If that's you today, do me a favor. Take a deep breath. Let it go. That breath is a gift to you from your maker. And he desires that you use that breath to praise and glorify him. You might not agree that that's your purpose, but God didn't consult us in the matter. I urge you today to consider this, the fact that you're alive is a blessing from the God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. None of us deserve another breath, and we've been given it in this moment. Know that this kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, to the forsaking of your sin, to the forsaking of your rejection for God's purpose for you, and to, by faith, embrace and hold fast to the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf for your salvation. In the end, if we reject that, there is no restoration and we willingly assume responsibility for our sins. On the day of judgment, if that is us, we will be dealt with according to our sin. So I urge you, trust in Christ today. My prayer is that you would join in the song of David and all of Christ's people and declare, Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. We thank you that in your faithfulness to your covenant, you sent your Son, that in him we may be saved from the pit and restored in the purpose that you created us for. Lord, may we not be distracted by the pursuits of this life, but may we as your people in thankfulness live faithful lives of worship that declare your glory, your praise, your honor, your faithfulness to a world in need. And God, if there's anybody here who has yet to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, move in their hearts to trust in him. Restore them, God, to a life of praise and glory. We thank you for this testament of David. We thank you, God, for how even today, uh, his words, your words through him, his, uh, his account, God, it is for us a testament to your faithfulness We look to you with hope today, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Would you stand and let's respond as the people of God, those who have been ransomed by Jesus Christ.